Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Words of Heart. In today's episode, we have the privilege of speaking with author Lisa Skinner. Thank you for joining me today, Lisa. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. So, Lisa, if you could tell my audience a bit about yourself, that would be great. Okay, so I am what's called a behavior specialist. It's kind of a unique profession. And my expertise is in brain diseases that cause dementia. And I um, basically focus on the day-to-day challenges that family members and caregivers are faced when they have a loved one who is uh, suffering from like Alzheimer's disease that cause dementia. There are actually, and this is really kind of surprising to most people, it was to me when I first heard it, there are over a hundred brain diseases that cause dementia. Alzheimer's is the most common one and the the one that we're all most familiar with. And um, basically the difference between uh, Alzheimer's disease and the other brain diseases that cause dementia is dementia is not a separate illness. The brain disease is the illness. Dementia is a broad term that's used to describe the symptoms that are caused by one of these brain diseases. So um, to make that a little easier to kind of wrap your heads around, when I say symptoms, what I mean is, you know, we can all relate to having the flu. We've pretty much all had the flu. And how do we know we have the flu? By the symptoms that um, are we're feeling in our bodies. Some of us get fevers, some of us get headaches, some of us get the body aches and the chills. Well, these are all symptoms that alert us to the fact that, oh my goodness, we have the flu. It's the same with dementia. So think of dementia as the symptoms that go along with the disease and everybody displays different symptoms. Not everybody has the same symptoms. Some have um, paranoia, some have a lot of different um, other behavioral uh, symptoms that show up, but no two people are really alike. So it's a very fascinating and unique um, illness that we see with people that have the brain diseases that cause dementia. Interesting. So um, considering what you specialize in and our lack of knowledge when it comes to certain brain diseases like dementia, um, is that what inspired you to write your book um, in any way? Well, I actually have been working. I worked in the industry for over 25 years, but my very first experience was with my grandmother. I actually have had eight of my own family members with some brain disease that has caused dementia. Five of them were blood relatives and three were through marriage. And there were several different brain diseases that were causing these illnesses. My grandmother was Alzheimer's. Most of, well, everybody in my, uh, the blood relatives were all Alzheimer's, but my brother-in-law suffered from Huntington's disease which is a very rare disease that also causes dementia. So I've had um, a lot of my own 
personal experiences that have been near and dear to my heart. And to answer your question, what really inspired me to write the book is I had a consulting business where I helped people understand the disease and help them know what to expect and help them um, train them, basically gave them the tools that they would need to manage these day-to-day challenges. And one of my clients said to me, you know, we've had such a hard time finding information on these day-to-day challenges and you've been able to provide us with so much helpful information. You really need to write a book because there are so many people out there like us who are dealing with this on a day-to-day basis and don't know what resources are out there to help us. And I had been hearing this for decades from my clients And I finally, it was like my aha moment. And I realized she was so right. And so that was kind of the moment I decided that she's right. I really do need to write a book because there are so many families who are struggling with this disease and need the help. So that's kind of was the inspiration to me writing the book was to help other families and actually Dion, you know, offer hope because most people, this is a very long disease. My grandmother had it for 20 years. Most people, the average length of time from the time they're diagnosed is like eight to 15 years. That's a really long time for people to take this journey, to go on this journey with people with cognitive dysfunction that um, at the very end of the disease need 24-hour care. They, They aren't able to do anything for themselves. But in between, in the earlier to mid stages, there are a lot of behavioral issues that come up and things that people just aren't even aware exist with dementia. And the responses or the reactions to some of these behavioral things that surface are actually counterintuitive to uh, the way we should respond to them. So this is what I help people do. And instead of the disease um, representing sadness and sorrow and dread, I'm hoping that with um, education, awareness, understanding, and being prepared with the tools, they can have a much more enjoyable relationship with their loved one while they're taking this journey with them. And it's very possible. People can live a very fulfilled and enriched life with dementia if they're provided with a proper environment and stimulating activities and people who have been trained and know how to react and respond to a lot of these behaviors that surface as a result of the damage that's being done to the brain. Wow, Um, I truly admire you for helping others who, 
are dealing with a family member or a friend or someone they know um, with dementia or any type of brain disease for that matter, because I it could be mentally draining, not understanding the disease, I'm sure, and how to go about the best way to help um, that particular individual. So I truly, truly do admire you for writing a book to give a sense of hope and clarity to those who are un unaware of this brain disease or how to go about handling it. And the other thing that's really disheartening is currently there are over 6 million people just in the United States that uh, suffer from all, Alzheimer's disease. That's not including the other brain diseases that cause dementia. We're specifically talking about Alzheimer's disease. And there are currently over 6 million people living with it. By the year 2050, that's not that far away, it's projected, the Alzheimer's Association has projected that that number will double to over 14 million or more than double to over 14 million people. That's just in the United States. This is a worldwide crisis that everybody in the world is dealing with. And it, as I mentioned, it's a very, very difficult disease to manage and it lasts a really long time. In the United States, unfortunately, and I don't think this is necessarily true in socialized countries because the government kind of takes care of things like this. But in our country right now, the care for people with Alzheimer's disease is all private pay. And unless somebody happens to have a long-term care insurance policy that will help pay for the care, and regardless of whether somebody stays at home and has have people come in, healthcare workers or companion care come in and help with the activities of daily living that people are gonna need help with, um, they would go to like a memory care facility and it's extraordinarily expensive in the home or in a facility and most of it comes out of the people's pockets unless they have a long-term care policy. So this is kind of um, a, another crisis that we're facing in the next 25 years of how are we going to care for the um, exorbitant amount of people that are gonna end up needing care because they're not gonna be able to safely stay at home by themselves and they're not gonna be able to perform um, the activities of daily living that we all do on a, on a you know, natural basis without even thinking about it, that, that uh, becomes um, impossible. People cannot uh, perform these tasks, these everyday tasks that we're used to doing. Plus it's very, um, you know, potentially unsafe for people to stay at home for a variety of reasons without help or supervision. So it's it's uh, going to, unless they find a cure in the next couple decades, this is what we're facing as a nation and as um, just basically worldwide. Right, and you're, it, it is unfortunate that, <laughs> <laughs> that th this is um this particular um disease can 
progress, if not get worse within the next decade or so, and without the right proper health care, which is always a undergoing issue, health care and making sure it's accessible to every single person, um, then I'm getting my thoughts mixed up because I, I, I had no idea this was a issue until we discussed it um, to this degree. So um, hopefully they do get the right amount of help and perhaps by opening people's eyes through your book, the healthcare will get off their bargain loungers and actually do something about it. Yeah, so much money has gone into cancer research and that certainly has paid off for us because so many more people survive cancer now than they did 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. But now we're facing that same kind of um, critical dilemma with Alzheimer's disease and other diseases that cause dementia because there is no cure. It's a progressive degenerative disease. It does not get better. You just have to, and it goes through uh, these progressive stages. And each stage, the person declines more and more and more and needs more help and really cannot be left alone at some point. So uh, it's definitely going to be a critical situation. And until more money is uh, designated to uh, Alzheimer's research, we need to find a cure like we have for cancer so we can get this under control and manage it better. And like I said, part of the, the dilemma is it is such a long drawn out disease. It does go on for a very, very long time. And it is so debilitating to the people who are afflicted with it. Right. <sighs> I'm getting like emotional as we're discussing this because it is a fundamental issue um, that I feel like anyone could relate to. You know, it's funny that you said that because I've been doing this for over 25 years and I do a lot of guest appearances on shows and I do presentations in front of groups of people. And even though a lot of people don't like to talk about Alzheimer's disease and dementia because it's uncomfortable and there's, there's certain stigmas that are attached to it, it turns out that just about everybody has a story. They're either experiencing it within their own families or they know people who are, and they come up to me. And I think one of the biggest concerns of, that people have, especially once they've seen somebody go through it is, oh my goodness, I'm scared I'm going to get it. I get that a lot. So it's on people's minds, but we need to talk about it and we need to raise awareness and we need to help people understand um, what's happening to the people who have the disease and why these behaviors surface and that they are part of the disease. A lot of people, um, in my experience, don't even really um, connect the behaviors that we see that surface on a day-to-day -day basis with being part of the disease. So this is all, you know, just 
examples of things that I help people understand. And I can give some examples if that would help people, um, you know, really understand what I'm talking about when I say these behaviors that, that surface that actually are part of the disease. If you could share those examples, that would be great. Cause, um, and this is, I mean, I'm human, but, and I'm sure other people may think this sometimes, usually when we see those particular behaviors, we don't automatically think it's in correlation to the disease or brain disease. We, our first initial thought is that person is a whack job or weirdo or crazy, which is really saddening to have that particular thought occur, but that is how the human mind works. Well, and, and that's exactly, exactly what people think. The number one reason why family members don't go visit people in memory care is because it's so uncomfortable. They don't understand the behaviors. They are very upset when their loved one doesn't recognize them as being their daughter or their son. They start calling them by different names. And if they understand that this is part of the disease and how to um, respond or react to those situations, they can have a much more meaningful relationship with their loved one. So let me give you a couple examples. So one of the things that actually is common, and it's a phenomenon that occurs with dementia, we call it stranger in the mirror. Um, This really fascinates a lot of people. But after I kind of explain it, it would be so helpful for family members or caregivers and or caregivers to understand that this happens because then they would know how to deal with it. So let me give you this example. And this is, this happens on a regular basis. So I'm going to kind of explain, I like to use the analogy of a light switch. When I'm explaining to people what's happening to the short-term memory Um, with Alzheimer's disease when um, people are progressing through the stages of the disease and it's progressively getting worse. So think of that light switch as turning on your lights and turning off your lights. Now, when you have Alzheimer's disease, the very first part of the brain that is damaged is the short-term memory. The long-term memory stays intact right to the very end. So as people are progressing through the various stages of the disease, the light switch that controls the short-term memory on and off function in the beginning of the disease, it's on more than it's off. Then as they progress through the disease, it's on sometimes and off sometimes, on and off, on and off. And it can get switched off in a second, just like a light switch. And then by the end of the illness, the last stage, that short-term memory switch gets shut off permanently. And people, so because the short-term memory no longer exists, people have to pull from their long-term memories. So they go back into another time period of their lives. And based on what they're talking about, you have to listen to the cues to understand what period of time they're in. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. 
My mother-in-law was one of my family members who had Alzheimer's disease. And when that light switch was turned off, she pulled from her memories when she was about 12, 13, 14 years old. When that switch was off and my husband came in to, to visit her, she didn't recognize my husband as being her son because in her mind, which was her reality, she hadn't even gotten married yet, let alone had grown children. So she didn't recognize him in her space, in her reality, as being her son. She knew she knew him, but she didn't recognize him as being her son because in her reality, she was only like 13 or 14 years old. So she started calling my husband Otto. Otto was her brother. And the two of them used to play in these tennis tournaments with friends on a regular basis. So she would start talking about the, the tournaments and calling them auto. Now my husband through me understood this light switch con concept. And when she called them auto and started talking about the tennis tournaments that they were going to be playing in, he knew exactly what had happened, that that switch went off. Her short-term memory for that time being was completely off and she was pulling from her long-term memory. And so he knew how to react to it because we, we do what we call join their reality. Now, most often until the very end, the switch will come back on and the short-term memory will, um, will come back on and then they'll be back in our reality. But what I teach families is listen for the cues. If they're talking about something that makes no sense to you, because if they're talking about something that happened a long time ago, keep in mind, this is their reality. They 1000% believe that they're living in that time space. And there's nothing anybody can do or say to change their mind. So to avoid a confrontation, frustration, behavioral situations, you really need to go along with their reality until it comes back to our reality. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Um, I'm trying to process it, but it definitely makes sense as opposed to thinking they're just... They're not crazy. crazy. This is not mental illness, but for 25 plus years... I've had so many family members who don't understand that these are the things that are happening to the brain. They'll come to me and they say, I don't know what's wrong with my mom anymore. She's just crazy. The things she talks about are just wacko. And, and once I explain it to them and it makes sense, they go, oh, now I totally understand. And now I'm prepared to respond to the things they're talking about that make no sense to me but I understand they make total sense to them so another phenomenon that I like to share with people because they have no idea that that this even exists is what we call stranger in the mirror so a lot of times this switch the short-term memory switch goes off and they're back in another period of time in their lives they believe that they're a younger version of themselves. So if they see themselves in the mirror, 
they see their true reflection, which is an older person, but in their mind's eye, they're a younger version of themselves because don't forget they're pulling from their long-term memory and they don't recognize themselves. There's a chapter in my book where this happened to, um, I tell a story about a gentleman named Harold and there was a mirror in their hallway and because his short-term memory switch got, got flipped off, he would see himself in this full um, length mirror and he thought it was a stranger in his house who had come to be his friend. And he would have conversations with them and his wife is listening to these conversations. And it's because he didn't recognize himself in the mirror. So how this could really present a problem is let's say you're a caregiver and you're, one of your, your duties is to shower the person that has the dementia, maybe on a weekly basis. And most of the time things go really smoothly and there are no issues. But let's say one day you lead your, uh, the person that you care for into the bathroom and you walk by the mirror and all of a sudden out of nowhere, they start fighting you and saying, no shower, no shower, no shower. And they absolutely refuse to take a shower. Now it's very possible that the thing that triggered that reaction and the fact that they're absolutely refusing to take a shower is because they saw themselves in the mirror, didn't recognize themselves and thought a stranger is here in the bathroom gonna watch me take my clothes off, no way. So if the caregiver was aware of this phenomenon, the simple thing they could do is take the mirror out or cover it up with a blanket or a sheet or a towel and that would solve the problem. But if you don't know about this, that was probably one of the last things you would ever think was the trigger for that behavior was the sheer fact that the person walked by the mirror, didn't recognize themselves and thought there were some strange person gonna stand there and watch them take a mirror. This happens every single day. Right. Um... I had, that's a wonderful, um, well, it's not, it's not wonderful, but it's a really good um, example to understand um, how um, someone would um, go about handling that. Yeah. In the mirror. Yeah, that's a great example. And, and it blows a lot of people away because a lot of people said I would have, have had no idea, but this is actually a very common occurrence with this disease, as are so many other behaviors. And so my whole entire book basically illustrates different behaviors through true life stories, and then how to effectively react or respond to them. So um, you don't like make the situation worse and you know how to kind of bring them back around. Uh, but this is really what my um, kind of my mission is and why I do what I do. I wrote the book and then I, you know, love going on these, um, these shows because my, my goal really is to raise awareness for people. This is a very difficult disease to deal with. It's a, 
anybody who is a caregiver for somebody with dementia, it's probably the hardest job they'll ever have to do. And if they're aware of the behaviors that surface, if they understand what's happening to the brain, if they're prepared with the right tools, then it will make their job so much easier and it'll also make the relationships that family members have with their loved ones who are afflicted so much easier to manage on a day-to-day -day basis and it can become extremely enjoyable. So I also help people understand how to keep, um, you know, ac certain activities that will help uh, people's minds stay stimulated and active uh, versus just kind of falling into a vegetative state. Because these are all things that really occur with dementia. Right, absolutely. And I truly admiring you for discussing this with me because I had no idea um, of what goes into dementia. Um, so, and I'm pretty sure my listeners would very much benefit from your knowledge and perspective on this because it should, this conversation, though very difficult, should be discussed and there should be people that are aware of this particular um, disease and it is through your knowledge and your book and just inspiring others to handle this particular um, disease a lot easier and better. Um, that, that's what I'm hoping to accomplish. Yeah, to help others um, not have to, you know, struggle with it because there is a better way. There is an easier way. They just might not be aware of it yet. Right. So <laughs> I do have an icebreaker question for you just to lighten up our conversation a bit. Um, if you could have any superpower that's not flying or teleporting, many people opt for picking those the teleporting answer because they think it's not like flying, but it's exactly like flying. So I have to take that option away now. <laughs> <laughs> If you could have any superpower that's not flying or teleporting, what would it be? The superpower that I would love to have, and this is just me, is okay. I would like to be Samantha on Bewitched and anybody that I run across in my, um, in my lifetime that needs help with anything, I would love to have the power to just twitch my nose and give it to them. Okay, that's a good power, a power I didn't see coming. Many people <laughs> this answer different, question differently. It's like a signature staple in all my interviews because people go with sincerity or a comical one or a power that doesn't even exist or power that they already possess. Um, and I'm not really familiar <laughs> I was going to say, maybe there's a lot of your listeners who would say, what are you talking about? But well, it, no, she did the it whole was a very tweet. popular show. It was a ser television series called Bewitched. And Samantha was the main character and she was a witch and she had the ability, basically all she had to do was twitch her nose back and forth and she could conjure up anything that she wanted. And I love to have that power. 
because I like to help people. Absolutely. And that's what our power should be used for to help others. So um, the power I would have, I don't think it's a power yet, but I feel like it could be a power in the future, would be the power for this podcast to be heard across other galaxies that have yet to be discovered. That would be cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, intergalactic broadcasting. And who knows, maybe um, Samantha is traveling on Mars and she's listening to this podcast right now. I hope so. Uh, (laughs) well lisa as awesome as this conversation has been because truly truly has and definitely brought in my knowledge on a topic i wasn't really familiar with as far as dementia and alzheimer's and how there are real people underneath the disease and that um it's important um for that to be discussed um and for people to be aware of it But um, we're at the end of this conversation. Do you have any social plugins to tie in before we wrap up here? Where people can find your book? Are you writing another book or a whole documentary? Give us the inside scoop as to how my audience can contact you. Yes, I'd love to. Thank you. My book is actually available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Right now, it's in a paperback edition and also an ebook version. It's called Not All Who Wander Need Be Lost by Lisa Skinner. Um, I am in the process of doing an audiobook conversion. That'll be available probably in the next month or so and will be um, available on Amazon and some of the um, audiobook um, stores. And I am in the process of uh, revising the book too. I also have a blog on Facebook. And the reason why I'm going to mention this is because I post tips on a regular basis on my blog. And I talk about a lot of the things that we just touched on very briefly in this conversation. And um, the name of the blog is not all who wander need be lost, just like the book. And you can access that through Facebook. And anybody who is experiencing um, a loved one or a friend or taking care of somebody with dementia, there's a lot of tools and helpful tips on that blog that hopefully will help you too through this very difficult period of time. Awesome. Thank you, Lisa, for joining me today. This was such a good conversation and it truly touched my heart and I'm pretty sure the hearts of all my listeners listening to this episode. Well, I hope it's helpful to a lot of people and thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. To all my listeners, stay healthy, stay safe. And until next time. Hello, everyone. It is your heart warrior, Dion here. I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Words of Heart. If you liked this episode and would like to leave a rating slash review, please do not hesitate to do so. You can leave the review slash rating on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. 
In addition, if you would like to let me know right away your thoughts on this episode, you are also welcome to leave a voice message right here on the Anchor app. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have a wonderful day.